tonight, uh, on this Wednesday, uh, as our Sunday uh, uh, Wisdom for Living series that we've been doing draws to a close, I wanted to do a midweek presentation here on Proverbs, and especially Proverbs chapter 8, but, uh, which is uh, wisdom speaking to us. But before I do, I wanted to give a, a general overview of the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's really important that we do that. We, so we're going to have just a general overview and introduction to the book of Proverbs. It's something we should know. Uh, you should know why Proverbs is the way it is when you read it, why it's laid out that way, what it means, uh, and it'll give you a deeper appreciation of what God is presenting us there. So let's just pray here. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the book of Proverbs. We thank you, Lord God, that Jesus has made unto us wisdom. And Father God, we crave the wisdom that's in you, that we have in Christ, that we would walk in and be those, Father God, that would uh, bring light to the generation we live in. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, an early name here in Hebrew for the book of Proverbs was to be like or similar. Isn't that a strange name? To be like or similar, uh, or the word comparison in Hebrew, because that's what these Proverbs are, are doing. They're making uh, 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 similarities, comparisons, and that's what the early Hebrews called it, to be like, to be similar. Uh, later, it was known among the Jews as the Book of Wisdom, not to be confused with the apocryphal Book of Wisdom, uh, not the same thing, but they called it the Book of Wisdom. So in our modern day we might entitle this book as the wisdom of God's Word. And that says quite a bit. If we want our children to grow up morally and spiritually sound, uh, we must provide them with a standard that does not change with the culture and society that we live in that has changed over the years. And in the last time, I don't know about you, but I've looked, they're crazy out there. I mean, they are really crazy out there. So how do we protect our children and grandchildren from the insanity from one decade to another? There has to be a standard from God's Word, and we have it, that we can learn and live by. And I have something in common with Christians that have lived centuries before me, and of course the Hebrew people even before the Messiah came. So what we have here is that uh, Proverbs is the standard of God's Word for this. If there's any book in the Bible you'd want to attempt to memorize, this is it. This is the zenith of the Old Testament for wisdom and instruction. Proverbs is the most important book in the Old Testament to the Christian if we want to develop character that's godly. That says a lot right there. That says a lot. That means that's a, though these should be pages we have worn out a lot. So it's a book that speaks to all people for all times, um, uh, parents, youth, men, women, business people, uh, public servants, the married, the single, and on and on and on. So it's a very uh, wide uh, book that talks to everybody, no matter what culture you come from, no matter what age group that we're in. We always could learn wisdom. Uh, so this is the very reason why it speaks to us, because the very predominant theme in Proverbs is wisdom. Wisdom will promote and excel anyone who embraces it. So that's uh, something tonight you really want to take with you of how gravely serious that is. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of us, in, who are especially older, have made a lot of mistakes in life where we could have had better wisdom. We should have went to the Word of God. We would have found it and not made those mistakes. So tonight what we're looking at here is a lesson I actually do in our Bible school on the book of Proverbs. It's part of a lesson on an overview of the book. So let's take a look at it uh, briefly, and then eventually we'll get to Rome, uh, Romans, to Proverbs chapter 8, which I was going to concentrate on tonight. So other major themes here in Proverbs, there's teachings on uh, moral and ethics, morals and ethics. There's teachings on contrasting good and evil, especially chapters 10 to 15. Uh, it's a book devoted to practical living. It's the most practical book of the Old Testament. This is practical stuff. Uh, 
The authorship, you know, uh, Proverbs is very similar to Psalms in that there's not one author. There's a collection of authors. So it has a plural authorship. It was collected somewhere between 700 and 400 BC. So Solomon passed away in approximately 931 BC. So this collection comes um, after him and the things that he had said. Uh, section chapter 10 through chapter 22 is considered the oldest part of this book. Uh, by the time you're at 180 BC, the apocryphal books that show up, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom of Solomon, are all influenced by Proverbs already. So how do we lay this book out? Uh, we need to know that the Proverbs weren't just thrown together haphazardly. There's an order to them. There's a reason for their placement. Uh, they were chosen and arranged to flow like poetry in Hebrew. You have to remember, you're reading Hebrew poetry. Cannot emphasize that enough. I'll mention that again. Uh, in this section here, what we have, um, we have a part in the Bible that is very picturesque. Statements that create pictures. Uh, chapters 1 to 9, they contrast good and evil. Uh, chapters 10 through 22 are often single verse proverbs that stand alone. Uh, they're placed in different divisions by different scholars over the years. Some see them in four divisions, some see them in ten divisions. Some wanted to divide them up like the book of Psalms in five like the Pentateuch. Uh, but basically, Psalms is, uh, uh, Proverbs is broken up into eight divisions that are most accepted. Uh, so, the purpose of this book, let me read to you from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, kind of tells us everything. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and integrity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise person will hear and increase in learning. A person of, uh, and a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So a lot's being said right there in chapter 1. Uh, it tells us here the wise will even get wiser. Uh, it tells us here if we have understanding, we'll be able to give counsel to others by what the Word of God brings us. It's a lot here. And these are things that are not like a good idea. We need these. And that's amazing is no matter what culture you live in, what century you live in, it speaks to you on how you conduct yourself among other people, how you conduct yourself as a representative of the Lord. Now, historically here, this, the purpose of this book was a teaching manual to the wise men of Israel. How about that? Doctrinally here, there's a lot that's being taught, but wisdom is definitely the predominant theme here as a doctrine that we learn. And doctrine simply means teachings to live by. We take the Word of God on a topic, on a setting, put them into a systematic order, and we use them as a guide to live by. Also a guide to understand the things of the Lord by. So your doctrine's very important. Why do you believe what you believe? That is our, that's how we put together our understanding and doctrine. So this book does that. Uh, Christologically, which means finding Christ, uh, this book points to Christ as our wisdom. As it tells us what I mentioned a few Sundays back here when I spoke, uh, that um, Jesus has been made unto us wisdom in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, in him are treasures of wisdom. So in other words, to find the wisdom of God, I don't go to school to learn that. I don't get a degree to learn that. Uh, then you just be a wise guy. Uh, you have to get that wisdom from the Lord, and it's freely given to us if we will take it serious. It's there for us to learn. Um, so the, this book is an aspiration for wisdom, but that's already found in Christ. If I have Jesus, wisdom is now available to me. 
Without Christ, it could not be available. So, uh, in, when we go to chapter 8 here later, we'll see that wisdom is a person. Uh, it represents Christ before he came to take on a body in this world. And so we'll look at that later. So what is a proverb? Uh, it's very common in Oriental and Aramaic cultures. Um, in the Aramaic culture, a proverb is meant to give you a mental picture. Something is said and a picture goes in your mind. I don't know if you realize this, but Hebrew is a picture language. Greek is a precision language, but Hebrew is not like that. Hebrew is meant to put a picture in your head. I don't know if you realize, but God doesn't talk in English. God doesn't talk in Hebrew. We talk in English. We talk in Hebrew. God talks in pictures. Pictures are the language of the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord brings us pictures, it illuminates our minds with all kinds of understanding and words. If I said the word bicycle to you, that's just one word, but it puts a picture in your mind and you could write volumes on bicycle just by the picture you have in your mind and your life's experience. That's how the Lord talks to us. He talks to us in pictures. How do I know I'm hearing from God? Pictures come to me uh, without premeditation. Holy Spirit is speaking to me in pictures. And with that comes understanding. I fill in the words in English, but the, 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 the unction came from Holy Spirit. And Proverbs is exactly that. It puts pictures inside of us so that we can meditate and dwell on that. And God brings us light from the pictures he brings to us. So it's a very picturesque thing. It puts a mental picture in your head. Proverbs were meant to give a lasting impression and a very vivid picture of the point that they're trying to present. Let me give you an example. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. As a ring of gold in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Now, I'm not picking on ladies, don't get me wrong. But doesn't that give us a vivid picture? Doesn't that make the point? You can have that scripture again up there, please, so they can see that. Doesn't that make the point of what's being presented, right? A gold uh, ring doesn't belong into a snout of a pig. Chapter 11, verse 22. Proverbs eleven twenty-two. If you don't have it, it's okay. Proverbs eleven twenty-two. But, uh, and likewise, there is a comparison there. A beautiful woman must have discretion or it's disgraceful. I mean, it's a picture that we want our daughters to have, our wives to have, our moms to have, et cetera. Uh, so it's a picture that's very graphic that brings it to us. Um, so the purpose of a proverb here is to give you as much instruction in as few words as possible. That's the, that's the concept here. Um, so a definition could be a proverb is a short statement conveying moral truth in a sharp, concise form. That's pretty easy, huh? It's usually a two-line poem. We have to remember, this is poetry. Uh, this is not to be read like a narrative. Like the first five books of the Bible are narratives. They're historical. This is a poetry book. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, they're Hebrew poetry books. Unfortunately, we have a culture today that doesn't know how to read poetry. So that's a problem. Look at it this way. I often use this as an example. If I go to a college class and sit down and they're teaching algebra and I say, whoa, 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 yes. How come you're not teaching French? What? How come you're not teaching French? This is an algebra class, but I want to learn French. Maybe you should go to a French class? <laughs> What's the problem there? You're in an algebra class, you've got to tune your ears to hear math, algebra, not French. That's the mistake we make when we read the Bible. We read narratives like Genesis through Joshua, for example, and then we get to Proverbs and treat Proverbs like a history book, a narrative. No, you have to read it like a poetry book, not a narrative book. Otherwise, you're in an algebra class trying to learn French. That ain't going to cut it. <laughs> you have to read poetry for the sake of poetry. The point here is that 
Poetry is trying to uh, present a picture inside of you. Poetry is trying you to, to evoke a feeling from you. They want you to experience the words, right? Uh, poetry is very, very different. And again, we live in a culture that doesn't read poetry anymore or thinks Moon Spoon June is poetry in a song, so what are you going to do? Uh, but this is poetry we're reading. It has a whole different approach when we read it. Each one of those Proverbs is a separate statement that we want to meditate on when we read. Not read it like, let's go from one to another, to another, to another. That's not how it's read. So, sometimes these Proverbs, uh, these little poems are perplexing. Uh, but they're certainly intentionally provoking meditation on our part. On these practical lessons of life. They use comparisons. They use contrasts, things that are the, that they're, uh, the antithesis, um, made intentionally for us to think, to meditate. So Proverbs were designed by the wise elders for young people to learn from. So it would stick into the mind of the listener or the reader. And of course, the concept was only the wise in a culture would devise a proverb. It was a sign you had wisdom. So, a Proverbs came in two different ways. The first one is called a folk proverb. That doesn't mean somebody picked up a guitar and started strumming. Not that. This is a folk proverb, which means the common voice of the people. Let's look at an example of a folk proverb. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, in verses 11 through 12, And it came about that those who previously knew and saw that he indeed was indeed prophesying with the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man from there responded and said, And who is their father? Therefore it became a saying, Is Saul among the prophets? So Saul among the prophets is a folk proverb. It became a saying. That's an example. A modern folk proverb to us might be something like, what goes around comes around. If you can't do the time, don't commit the crime. That's a folk proverb. Okay, then we have literary proverbs. That's the book of Proverbs. A literary proverb uh, is trying to pass down the wisdom of the elders. So the Bible has both of these in them, because we just read from Samuel. Uh, it, it has uh, folk proverbs as well as literary proverbs. But the literary proverbs, the written ones, obviously are the most common. Uh, the New Testament equivalent for proverbs would be a parable. So the book of Proverbs is often alluded to and, and quoted in the New Testament. Okay, just briefly here, let's talk about the different types of Proverbs. Because if you may have noticed, if you read Proverbs, they don't quite all read the same way. That's because they're a collection. Many of these Proverbs, they make sense in a very natural way. Uh, they're not difficult to grasp. Often our life's experience tells us, yeah, that's true. Others are more difficult. They're harder to relate to, especially in our modern-day lifestyle. Uh, because of the cultural setting, when the book was written, they, they're, they're tough sometimes to grasp. So, har so Proverbs are more than just simple sayings. We have to remember we're reading the very wisdom of God expressed in human language. So we need to see beyond the human words here into the mind of God. God's revealing to us his mind of how we should interact with other people, interact with one another. How do we do life from the mind of God? I'd sure want to know that. Now, there's six basic types of Proverbs. We're not going to go through all of them tonight. Uh, we do that in Bible school. Uh, they're called Hebrew parallelisms. That's the theology word if you study it in school, Hebrew parallelisms. This was a theology created by and, and categorized by a bishop in the 1700s to help us understand Hebrew poetry, including the Psalms. The Psalms are written the same way. Uh, but tonight we're just going to look at two quickly very common proverbs or Hebrew parallelisms. One is called an antithetical. That's anti and then T-H-E-T-I. I-C-A-L, antithetical. And these are very common. So they're best seen by example. Let's look at a few. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32. 
The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. So we have here, just leave that up please so they can see it. We have here, the thought is presented in the first line. And then it's given by the negative of that thought in the second line. And the word but is often used a lot. That's a connective word. So you can see that. You have your thought there. The lips of the righteous know what's acceptable. But what's the opposite of that? And then they talk about the wicked. Very simple. That's called an antithetical. They're opposites. Let's look at another example. Chapter 11, uh, verse 17. A merciful person does himself good, but the cruel person does himself harm. Very simple. Obviously, this is something you could teach a child. It's not hard to grasp. You got it. This is a pattern of life we want to live. We want to live merciful, not cruel. Cruel, bad. Merciful, good. That's how we want to live. And it's easy to point out the children, especially youth. Let's look at another one. Chapter 14, verse 25. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who declares lies is deceitful. Same thing. We have the first line and then the opposite in the second line divided by the word but. And we get a teaching right there of contrasts. And let's do one more. Uh, in chapter 14 verse 30, a tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. Here we have what the tranquil heart will produce and what jealousy will produce. And you've got to remember now, spiritually, jealousy is a cousin akin to murder. Envy is, I want what you have. Jealousy is, I want what you have and I want you dead. It's different. Je and of course, Cain and Abel's are a classic example. You know, jealousy is akin, a cousin to murder. These are spirits that hang around together. So, there you have it. So, that's another quality teaching there. Um, so, all of these are truths that are emphasized to us by contrasting truths. Very simple. Another common one is called a synonymous proverb. If you're taking a note, that's S-Y-N-O-S-Y-N-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S. Synonymous proverb. This is where both lines say essentially the same thing just expressed in a slightly different way. Let's look at an example. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. A generous person will be prosperous, and one who gives others plenty of water will himself be given plenty. Notice the word and here. It's used as a connective between the two lines. We have the second line basically saying the same thing as the first line, just in a different way way. There's a lot of them like that. Um, let's go to another one. Chapter 14, verse 19. The evil will bow down before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. We have basically the same thing said in a different way. You can see that's not an antithetical, an opposite. It's a, it's a different type of expression. Let's look at one more as an example. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him, for his wages urge him on. The word for there gives further instruction from the first line. Add more. Pretty easy, huh? These aren't hard. And yet, these are things certainly each individual statement is something we can learn from all by itself. And that's the whole point. So, how do we study Proverbs? I just want to close with that thought on this section. Uh, first of all, I suggest you study them meditatively. That's what they're meant for. Uh, it's good to take one a day if you want to. Don't try to read the whole book at once. Maybe one a day. And meditate on one proverb a day. Um, you got to remember, this is poetry. We're supposed to visualize this inside of us. We're supposed to experience what's being written. And as you get older, it talks to you about your own life's experiences. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. And it brings your own memories back to you, what you did wrong, what you did right, what you saw wrong, etc. You, you are being taught by the Spirit of God just by dwelling on this. It's a really cool thing to do. Second thing 
that Proverbs is meant for, we need to teach this to our children and to our youth. You could, example, I've known many families to do this. You could take one proverb at dinner time and just say it and talk about it at the dinner table briefly. You're sowing truth into your children. Obviously, they're going to hear junk all day long. Let them hear the life and the Word of God. Let them hear the truth of God's Word. That's what we want to sow in them because the junk we hear all day long isn't going to produce any wisdom in our life at all. It just helps us to be better sinners. But the Word of God in us changes us. The Word of God in us produces something in us. So I would suggest uh, that's a great thing to do. Uh, and if mom and dad doesn't initiate it, you have a very strange child if they are the ones who initiate it. You're like, okay, when are you starting your church? <laughs> so you need to do this as mom and dad. A third thing you can do is study this by topic. I've done that in the book of Proverbs. Find all the Proverbs that have to do with wisdom. Find all the Proverbs that have to do with knowledge. Find all the Proverbs that have to do with understanding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, study them topically. They alone create a teaching for us that we can categorize and study by. Proverbs is a cool book. You can spend a lot of time studying this. Um, another thing you could do is what we just said, Hebrew parallelisms. You can study just the antithetical ones, just the synonymous ones. I've done that. In fact, I took one of my Bibles and I made a note in the entire book of Proverbs, which one is synonymous, which one is antithetical, and there's other types. So anytime now I look at it, I know what I'm reading, why I'm reading, what, what, the, what it's categorized, you know, category is, so I know exactly what I'm reading. That's one way to study it. And you can, some of them talk to each other. One proverb agrees with the other proverb, and you can learn things about it, like wisdom and knowledge, for example. Like they're called word marriages. They're like married together. And you can learn a lot of things about them. So anyway, those are different ways to study Proverbs. Uh, why would you want to do this? It'll make you wise. It'll make you have access to the wisdom of God. And you really want that. Uh, another thing we could do when we study Proverbs here is especially learn how it applies to my life. And the, the odd part about this is, if we actually listen to them, it will change you. Proverbs will change actually how you think. I've heard scientifically, you know, we have brain synapses in us. If you listen to Mozart, you actually grow brain synapses. The, the complication of the music causes brain synapses to grow. Pretty wild. The, the neurofibers grow stronger. I believe Proverbs rewires our minds. I believe if you read Proverbs and take them real serious, you will start to physically change how you think. I believe the wisdom of God will come to you and how you think. I really mean that seriously. And the cool thing about Proverbs is, I don't know if anybody's had this experience, if you've taken it real serious, it helps you live out your day. You actually experience them. Uh, they talk to you. Has anybody ever had that experience where in your life, a proverb came to you out of nowhere and instructed you or corrected you? I have. Anybody? Okay, okay, brother. I remember one time, I, I don't remember the exact proverb, but it was a proverb that basically said, if you have money to pay someone, pay them today, don't wait till tomorrow. And I was somewhere where I had to give some money to somebody for something. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll see you next week and give it to you. That proverb came out of nowhere and corrected me. If you have it with you today, give it today. Stop. I'm going to give it to you right now. It, 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 I didn't plan on that. But there's where the Holy Spirit talks to us. The Word of God comes to us spontaneously and either corrects us and you want to be corrected. You get excited. Ooh, 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 it corrected me. I love this. Ah, do it again. You know, and you you're really know you're hearing God. And it will do that to you. Or you'll hear somebody say something and you'll go, click, that ain't right. And all of a sudden the proverb will come out of nowhere and talk to you about not hanging around fools. Like, ooh, I'm getting away from this guy. It'll talk to you. It'll train your life. It'll protect you. It's happened to me many times, but you got to give yourself to it. it you know, you, you, you can't have it affect you unless you know it. 
So if you put them in you, it does something inside of you. Proverbs is an amazing book. And of course, if you're doing a business transaction with someone, or if uh, you're involved in some kind of a very important, uh, you know, financial or business transaction, and you're not quite sure, sometimes a proverb will talk to you about be cautious of this person, don't trust this person, or this person did this or that, be aware of them, and there'll be a proverb talking to you. And you're like, thank you, Lord. And you'll go, mm, maybe another day. And it'll just save you from disaster. Proverbs will do that for you. So that's a really cool thing about uh, Proverbs. Uh, we can read them and how it applies to our very lives here. So, um, all right. So for the rest of our time today, what I want to do was go to Proverbs chapter 8. I mentioned that when I did that sermon that one Sunday, um, that I wanted to do a, sort of like a verse-by-verse verse, uh, examination here of Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, and I said that because it was on a sermon about Jesus has been made wisdom unto us. So in other words, I'm not going to go in detail what I said during the sermon, but when you see the word wisdom in the Word of God, you can substitute the name Jesus because he is the wisdom of God. And when you see the name of Jesus, you can even substitute the word wisdom is talking to you. So whenever I see wisdom, I'm seeing Jesus talking to me. And whenever I'm seeing Jesus, I'm seeing the wisdom of God talk to my life. You got that? I don't know about you, but I need the wisdom of God in my life because I don't get it right all the time. And sometimes I'll do dopey things and the word of God will correct me because I don't want to do dopey. I need the wisdom of God. I don't, we, we are, should be a people that don't rely on our intellect, education, brains, rational mind, because that's how we're trained. We live in a society that trains us to uh, worship the uh, rational mind. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you knew this, on the state of New Jersey, uh, every state has a public seal. On the seal of the state of New Jersey is a... Um, the, the armor of, of a knight, knight's helmet. And when you read a seal, it tells you what everything represents. And that represents those who made the seal way back when, when Jersey got started, the supremacy of the human mind. And what dominates this state? The supremacy of the human mind. And that does not mean God comes first. That means God is subject to the supremacy supremacy of the human mind. That's evil. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating study to study the seals that are over cities and uh, towns. For example, one, one brother pointed out um, uh, the homosexual crowd has found a, a real home in San Francisco and California. And the seal is a woman wearing men's clothes with her foot in San Francisco Bay holding a man's hand in her head in her hand. Look at the seal. Amazing stuff. There was one county in, uh, I don't know, it was North or South Carolina? It was Carolina. Uh, one Bible uh, teacher said, um, in that particular t uh, county, manhood is very lacking. The men are like dopes. They're, they're, they're not very manly. They're, 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 they're very passive. And the seal of the county is a woman beating a man over the head with a club. That's the seal of the county. My point is that is something that's happening in the spirit realm. That's a demonic presence that's taking place on these seals. What you call something, it is. And these are spirits that are welcomed there. It's a whole nother story. So, um, you know, what we don't want, the point is, we don't want the supremacy of the human mind. That's opposed to God. We don't want to rely on the natural, rational mind. That's how we're raised. We want to be men and women of the spirit, men and women who embrace the word of God as my source of truth, not my own ability or my education. In America today, you are told to worship education. And then you graduate an educated fool. Come on. 
This is ridiculous. So we need to be believers. What does that mean? We need to act like believers. We need to think like believers. So I want the wisdom of God in my life. I don't want to trust myself. I don't want to trust what I think I know. I want God's Word to tell me what I should know so that I would act accordingly. And then the wisdom of God will flow out of my life. And that has nothing to do with your IQ. That has nothing to do with your education. Uh, some of the greatest men and women I've ever met in life have almost no education at all because the wisdom of God is in their lives. Because they live in the book of Proverbs. They live in the word of God and it makes it, and they, they have that become the dominant training of their minds. And I would like to see our children be that. Because we're constantly fighting against the tide. We're constantly fighting against uh, a world that's trying to convert our children to have uh, a worship of the, of the human mind, not the Word of God. And uh, so we need to be really key on this. So, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8. Does not wisdom call? Again, you could have the word Jesus here, does not Jesus call. Does not wisdom call and understanding raise her voice? So this is a person here now in uh, Proverbs 8. This is Jesus talking to us, the pre-incarnate Christ. And here we have, yeah, wisdom has a voice. Whoa, Jesus has a voice. Uh, verse uh, 2. Uh, that, that was verse 1. I'm sorry. That was Proverbs 8.1. No. What was that? Whatever. Proverbs 8.2. Um, on top of the heights besides the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. We have the scripture there. It's Proverbs chapter 8 verse 2. Okay. Okay. So here we have at the crossroads of life where our future is affected where our decisions come from, wisdom talks to us. Jesus is talking to us. Verse, verse 3, chapter 8. But besides the gates, the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. Interesting here, gates, opening to the city. This is a place of prominence in the Hebrew culture where the elders sit. At the gates to my soul, at the gates to my life, my ear gate, my eye gate, it opens up into my soul. Wisdom talks to me. Jesus talks to me. Verse 4, to you people I call and my voice to mankind. So Jesus is speaking to us. Wisdom is speaking to us. Are we listening? Verse 5, you naive ones understand prudence. And you fools understand wisdom. Naive ones mean the untaught. It means the youth who haven't learned yet. Fools are those who do know better, but they've rejected wisdom. A fool is not a silly person. A fool is a rebel who rejects the wisdom of God. And uh, prudence, by the way, uh, is a Hebrew concept. Um, did I have that somewhere else? Yeah. It means a shrewdness, an insight with experience. It's not just a girl's name. It means a, a, a shrewdness, an insight with experience in life. Okay, so it produces to me insight, experiences in life. Uh, verse 6, listen for I will speak noble things. Ah, wisdom doesn't talk foolishness. It talks things of no. Listen, and I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. We need to know wisdom is more noble, and it speaks to us in a noble way. Okay, verse uh, 7. For my mouth will proclaim truth. Okay, Jesus' mouth, wisdom's mouth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Truth is not evil. Truth is not an abomination. It's something pleasant. Verse 8, and all the words of my mouth are in righteousness, and there is no, nothing crooked or perverted in them. So truly here, true righteousness will always speak in the wisdom and with Jesus. Verse 9, they are all straightforth to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. These are the things that matter. These are not complicated. Define wisdom is to find the knowledge of life we need. 
Verse 10, accept my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. We need to see here that all these things that people strive for in life, the gold, the silver, all end at the grave. They have no eternal value. Yet here, people who walk in the wisdom of God, they have something that goes beyond the grave. They have access to things beyond the grave in the heavenlies here on the earth. Verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare with her. So we see wisdom is better than everything that the world would consider valuable. And that's something. Surely we would look at expensive gems and go, whoa, that's valuable. But the Word of God tells us wisdom is even more valuable than that. I want this. Amen. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord, that means the reverence of God. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. We have to change our hearts, attitudes, and agree with God's Word. I need to hate what God hates. I need to embrace what God embraces. Too often we live in a culture where we embrace and welcome things that God finds detestable. Uh, we can't do that. Um, for example, in American culture, we pride in the rebel. The rebel, yeah, the rebel. Rebels are cursed by God in the Word of God. You don't embrace the rebel. That's something cursed by God. Why do we are proud to wear rebel things? I should be appalled to wear things that promote the rebel. You following me? I need to change the way I think. I need to start to agree with God's Word and not with my culture. Uh, verse 14, advice is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding and power is mine. Wow. If we listen to the wisdom of God, we get understanding and power. So the question is, will I listen? Because what I'm going to hear is going to be contrary to then what this culture is teaching me every single day. Verse 15, by me kings reign and rulers decree justice. Isn't that interesting? This is what God's ideal is for kings and rulers. Verse 16, by me princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. Again, God's ideal for what nobility should be. Uh, but let's take this a step further. When we look at this with New Testament eyes, we're the rulers. We're the nobility. We're the kings. You have been made a royal priesthood. You're kings and priests. The real kings of this world are not a bunch of godless people. They're the people of God. That's how you have to see yourself. You're the real kings, the real nobility. The world's not going to tell you that. God's Word will tell you that. Now I need to know, how would I act in nobility? I walk with wisdom. You following this? Okay, great. Verse 17. This is again wisdom talking, Jesus talking. I love those who love me. Huh. And those who diligently seek me will find me. If I diligently seek wisdom, I will find it. It's not hidden from me. If I diligently seek Jesus, I find him. He's not hiding from me. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Wisdom brings riches and honor. Not your education, not how good you are at willing and dealing. Wisdom brings and advances your life. If I believe that, I have it. Uh, verse 19, my fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield is better than choice silvers. That means that things that nations would go to war over are insignificant compared to what wisdom has value in. Verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice. Wisdom produces justice. We ought to always rejoice when justice happens. That's wisdom being made manifest. We should pray for justice in our land. Why? So that the wisdom would be made manifest. And if wisdom is made manifest, Jesus is made manifest. Verse 21, to endow, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasures. How about that? This is a promise to the giver that those who uh, have wisdom uh, and, and uh, they will become the givers of wealth because treasure will be with them. 
Now this is interesting here in verses 22 to 30. I mentioned this on the Sunday morning. Here wisdom talks that it's been there at the creation of the world uh, that we know. Because this is the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus at the beginning of the creation. Verse 22, the Lord created me at the very beginning of his way before the works of old. So here we're having an insight into Genesis chapter 1. Uh, be careful what I say here. When God recreated the earth. That's about an hour's explanation. I'll try to do it real fast. When you take all the verses of the Bible and put them in chronological order, Jesus, this chapter, chapter 8, exists before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Jesus exists in eternity as the wisdom of God. When you have Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's the end of the chapter, period. Verse 2 should be the beginning of another chapter. Why? Because it says in verse 2, and the earth was a formless void and chaos. Stop. God creates in chaos and void? No. Something happened in between verses 1 and 2 to cause the earth to become a chaotic uh, mess. So in verses 2 and on, you have the story of God's recreation. Now, that's a whole separate teaching. It's, that's been called the pre-Adamic civilization, that there had to be something existing in between verses 1 and 2 before the recreation of the earth. That's where you would put the fall of Satan. Where do you put Satan's fall? It's there in between verses 1 and 2. Some cataclysmic war that devastated all of the physical realm. You know, you have to ask the question, where do demons come from? Literally, in the original Greek, they mean disembodied spirits, which means, did they once have a body? Question mark. What, what would that mean? That would mean possibly they are from that pre-Adamic civilization in between verses 1 and 2. Now, not everybody accepts that. I, I do personally believe that. You don't have to. You can say, I don't believe that. That's okay. But then how do you explain the, the, the chaos and the void? That's not how God creates. So in verses 2 and on, we have the story of recreation, of God recreating the physical uh, dimension that we live in. So that's what I'm talking about here. Here we have Jesus at the beginning of the recreation. Verse 23. From eternity I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no ocean depths, I was born. That doesn't mean Jesus had a created part. It means it poetically when wisdom uh, was there. And when there was no springs abounding in water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was born, while he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the skies above, when the springs of the depth became fixed, when he set a boundary for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was uh, beside him as a master workman. I was his delight daily, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of mankind. So here we have an odd chapter here in the book of Proverbs. This can only mean one thing. It's a person talking. What other person could this represent but the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he ever came to take on a body, Jehovah God himself at the beginning of the recreation. So he says, he's saying to you here, I know wisdom. Trust me, I know wisdom. I am wisdom. He's being very Jewish. Verse 32, now then, sons, listen to me, for blessed are those who keep my way, the way of wisdom, the way of Jesus. Verse 33, listen to instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the person who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. I think this is talking to us about watching in prayer, uh, where we uh, sit and listen before him uh, about the things we do not yet know, and put aside everything we think we figured out, 
and get the wisdom of God that we need to have to really teach us? Will we be watching? Will we be listening? Will we spend time with him? Verse 35, for he who finds me, Jesus, for he who finds wisdom, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But the one, verse 36, who sins against me, sins against Jesus, sins against wisdom, injures himself. And all those who hate me, Jesus, wisdom, love, death. Wow. These are things we need to tell our young people to learn from a young age, not to hate wisdom, to embrace wisdom, to embrace the voice of the Lord, to embrace life. And yet we're taught the complete opposite. Hey, go your own way, do your own thing. Did you know that's a satanic phrase? Anybody remember the Beatles album, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band? Anybody remember that crowd of people uh, above the Beatles? Do you remember the guy in the upper left-hand corner who's bald with the big eye staring at you? That's Aleister Crowley. He was a warlock in the 1800s. John Lennon used to read him, and he put him in that crowd. In his book, uh, the warlock Aleister Crowley wrote to walk backwards, to say the Our Father backwards, and uh, to uh, do, his words were, do what thine wilt, do your own thing. A lot of satanic wisdom has fallen into our culture. You don't do your own thing. I do God's thing. I want to learn God's thing because I don't know God's thing unless he shows me and it's in the word of God. And we need to abandon all the worldly trash that is devilish that we have been taught over the centuries, especially since the 1960s. We have, have a society poisoned with the vomit of hell. We need the wisdom of God. I need to challenge everything I think I know and abandon what doesn't agree with God's word. But I don't get to do that unless I get light from heaven and light will come to me when I do the word of God and wisdom talks to me. And wisdom will instruct me the way I should go. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we embrace wisdom. We embrace Jesus. We love Jesus. We love wisdom. Lord God, in these days ahead, may we be a people that pursue the things of your word, Father, to plant it in us. Continue, Father, to chasten us, teach us, prepare us, instruct us, that we would abandon all that's not of you in our thinking, embrace all that is of you in our thinking, that, Lord God, wisdom would advance us, that riches and honor would be with it, Father, that people would seek us out and crave us for the wisdom of God that's available to us, that we have, that we can carry. Lord God, be wisdom unto us, for we have the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and we want to walk in that wisdom. So we thank you for this, Father God, in the name of Jesus in these days ahead, that we would be a people that just don't close the Bible and put Proverbs there in the darkness, but open it up to the light of our hearts, that, Lord God, we would walk in the wisdom of God. And we thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.